Hey guys, this is Chris Roth here with Bushido Squirrel with your weekly knock activism wrap-up. Today we're going to be talking about what happened in the city council chambers on Tuesday morning, along with a reshuffling of the structure of the city's sustainability plans, Garcetti's State of the City address, and some relatively good news out of the LAPD for a change. Remember, if you want us to give you a shout-out or to cover a story that is near and dear to you, you can always email tips or story ideas to podcast at groundgamela.org. How's it going, Bushido? Uh, it's going pretty well. It's uh, been a very busy week. Like I've mentioned a bunch, I'm, I'm leading up the efforts to uh, bring the road to a Green New Deal here oh, in LA. Yeah. So it's coming next Friday. Uh, you can surf on over to bit.ly slash GNDLA tour tickets. And GNDLA is all capitalized. Uh, five, 10, or $50 if you want to be a hero and help us subsidize some cheap tickets for students. Uh, but other than that, it's good to have you back. You have a good trip? I did. It was really great to spend some time with the parents and, uh, you know, get to go and see another country. It's always fun. Yeah. Portugal's got some cool stuff going yeah, on. Yeah, they really do. Like, it's amazing to see how... Like I, I got, I got to hear some stories from folks who uh, are are friends of my parents who've been living over there for the last few months, and even in that short period of time, the wonderful uh, exuberance with which they'll describe the subsidized uh, healthcare system over there is really just it's devastating when you come back to the states and you're like, oh man, if only we could do healthcare like all of the other industrialized nations in the world. And I mean, Portugal does not have a large economy. They're a small no. country, but they know how to take care of their citizens and yeah. they offer an incredibly robust public health system that is extremely affordable for everyone who lives there, like to the point of it basically being free for your health care. It's amazing. Yeah. And then you couple that with the drug decriminalization oh, and the yeah. focus on recovery and rehab and also like a robust public housing program. And suddenly you've got like the makings of a pretty decent society. Absolutely. It was it was really great to see. And they've done a, a remarkable job with preserving their uh their historic cores of their towns and cities to really show off and, and uh, what what their uh, what their country has done over the uh, over the ages. I mean, they 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 seem to be dealing uh, not really great with their history of uh, involvement in the slave trade, but yeah, they were one of those colonial powers. They quite not, unfortunately not not just one of they, they it was between them and Spain. They uh, you know were trying to divvy up the entire Western Hemisphere back in the day. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, it, it was it was a, a great trip, though. So uh, glad to be back in L.A. Though. Yeah, I mean, a fun story just to, before we round that out is, you know, Columbus literally went to the Portuguese king and queen. and was like, hey, pay me to sail around the world. And they were like, fuck no, you're an idiot. Well, and they, so then he went to the king and queen of Spain and they're like, oh, the Portuguese think you're an idiot. Well, you, sir, get three ships. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they the, the Portuguese still made out pretty well with getting, you know, Brazil out of that entire arrangement. So, yeah. And uh, Macau. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Macau and uh, a bunch of other colonies. I mean, they, they basically just uh, went hog wild on all of Africa as well. So, yeah, no, the, the Portuguese uh, history is is a very uh, fraught one. Yes, uh, and that at is the a same very time, ac accurate way of describing it. <laughs> we have them to thank for a lot of the uh, food that we enjoy because like almost none of that stuff's from Europe, folks. If you if you eat tasty Italian food, just remember it didn't come from Italy. But uh, I was going to say, as exciting as international travel is, and I'm a big yeah. fan of it myself, having like at one point just, you know, screwed off to Ireland to ride my bike across that nation. Uh, the most exciting thing that's ever happened to me happened Tuesday when yeah. I got to meet Leafy, the new mascot for the trees <laughs> here in L.A. Uh, we have a mascot for our trees, folks. And he's it's, got a Dodger hat. Yeah. <laughs> 
Look, the, all I'm saying is the Angels really made a misstep when they tried to rebrand as the California Angels and just lost all of these great branding opportunities. Wait, but what, they, I, they, they're the Los Angeles Angels at Anaheim, aren't they? Oh, is that the new name now? I, I think I mean, that's they've what changed it several I times. It's, it, I, I stopped paying attention. I'm, I'm a National League fan, uh, if a fan at all. Uh, but I want to say, so this was part of uh, a big, like, uh, Chris and I spent the morning at City Hall watching a bunch of stuff go down. Well, that was uh, for Arbor Day. It was. And it was also announcing, like, this big spending on, like, trees and stuff. And Hell David yeah. Ryu was out there, like, hyping it up, which, yes, like, was. I'm a fan of trees. Uh, I just kind of hope that we stop the, like, planting trees right before gentrification thing. Uh, but there was some other big stuff that went down, uh, specifically around housing bills and uh, L.A.'s very um, – uh, negative relationship with Mr. Scott Weiner and his attempt to uh, upzone the world. Yeah, so there were uh, what was it? Three members of council who spoke out uh, vociferously against SB. They 50. all had a prepared statement and they all said the same thing. They, it, yeah, they yeah. really did. Bonin and Karetz uh, came out real strong. Karetz was weird because he's trying to couch his language in more like lefty, like affordability rhetoric now, but he's clearly protecting a lot of his single-family homeowners. Uh, same thing. I get the the sense for Bonin though, like both of those. Bonin's CD11 is more under pressure for housing than Caretta's CD5. Yeah. So it's worth pointing out to everybody in case you haven't been paying attention to what all of these numbered bills are that come out of uh, Scott Weiner's office. But SB50 is basically the reincarnation of what he was doing last year with SB827, which is a transit-oriented development bill that would pretty dramatically upzone massive portions of the state uh, surrounding, uh, you know, transit stations where it was either last year it was all about uh, the metro and trains uh, and then uh, originally buses and then the buses got dropped and then it was like, okay, well, are the buses still kind of part of this? And it was really very fuzzy and vague and uh, generally lacked any real protections for existing tenants. So this time around, he's come back with uh, trying to work with tenant advocacy groups and trying to bring together a coalition of folks to really restructure the bill in a way that would actually provide tenant protections. And it has pretty much fallen flat on its face. Um, yeah. So it, something that's that was really interesting that I saw uh, regarding all of this was that there was some polling that came out of San Francisco, which was conducted online with voters really up and down the state of California that showed that a majority of voters approved of the bill, uh, but that polling number really was based on a single vague question that really utterly fails to capture the nuances of the bill. The pollsters asked, quote, a bill called Senate Bill 50 is currently being considered in, in the California State Senate, which would change zoning codes to allow taller residential buildings near public transit and increase affordable housing and tenant protections. Do you support or oppose the bill? Bushido, what do you think of that? Uh, yeah, that doesn't really get into the nitty gritty um, or kind of explain like what that upzoning necessarily looks like. Because if you ask people like, hey, do you want more housing in California? <laughs> They're going to say yes. You're like, do you want more housing if it means we bulldoze a working class neighborhood and build a bunch of luxury condos? Most people are going to say, no, I don't want that type of housing. Well, so even with that vague language, uh, 61% was all they were able to get, get in terms of support for SB50, uh, which is really kind of devastating to hear that even with that extremely lang- vague uh, wording, it was still only uh, only 61% of people that would, would come out in support of it. But yeah. it was uh, only 22% of them that said that they would strongly support this. So the, if, if you word it that vaguely and you couch it so much uh, and promise uh, vaguely that you're going to be increasing affordable supply when the bill doesn't really 
actually do that. Uh, it, it was, it's, it's sad to see that there's only that little support for it. And it's not like 90% of people saying, Hey, we need more housing. Yeah. Well, and I was going to say also, we got another data point where, uh, when, when they pulled the LA city council, the LA city council was not in favor of the bill at all, but oh, yeah. what was it? 12 it was, to zero was, to uh, oppose uh, SB 50. It was either 12 to zero or 13 to zero. I forget what the final yeah. tally was. Cause they only had 10 people when we first showed up and I didn't pay attention to what the actual vote total was. Yeah. But it's it again, unanimous. yeah, again, uh, city LA city council always votes unanimously. And yeah, they, they unanimously do. said, we don't like this. Yeah, they absolutely rejected it straight up. And it was really, you know, kind of weird listening to them talking about couching this all in a uh, in a language that was bemoaning the fact that the bill wasn't going to be providing enough affordable housing. Uh, deeply ironic, honestly, hearing them complain about that, given that the lack of affordable housing that we're seeing here in the city of L.A. is largely due to the result of their inaction on this issue year after year after year after year. I mean, we've yeah. got folks in city council right now who are terming out this next cycle. Uh, Herb Wesson is going to be terming out. Jose Huizar is going to be terming so out. So that means they've been in for 15 years. That's yeah. three election cycles. <laughs> yeah. No, you you have a long, long career once you get onto city council. But it was also interesting because uh, there was a pretty noticeable split. Uh, oh, you yeah, know, for uh, sure. housing is a human right. Showed up all wearing red and all with signs and did some solidarity. Yes, uh, the Yimbies showed up looking like office workers. <laughs> uh, their uniform is not as easy to identify on site, but they all pretty much look the same. But let's talk a little bit about uh, the comments that were made before the council because some of them were kind of interesting, uh, and it's a lot of the same arguments we've seen for a while. So I feel like our housing debate is beginning to stagnate a bit. Yeah. So most of the comments were around the fact that this. Uh, well, so the the most uh, jarring comments were from, from folks like the uh, Coalition to Preserve LA who showed up to support this uh, this movement to reject. It was weird because they were they were in, um, supporting a an item on the city council agenda to oppose Scott Weiner's SB 50. So uh, support for city council meant opposing SB 50. So that uh, just to clarify what we're talking about here. Yeah. So the folks that were urging the council to endorse this item on the agenda. Uh, we, like you said, we had the the housing as a human right folks who were in their rent is too damn high T-shirts, holding up signs, talking about ending gentrification, uh, talking about opposing SB 50. Uh, and they were vocal. They were there with a mission because they see what the uh, rampant effects of gentrification are having on communities all across Los Angeles. But then the uh, the folks, the the other folks who came out. Uh, in support of this agenda item, uh, Coalition to Preserve LA was there talking about how this is going to just uh, rip apart all of these uh, old single-family home neighborhoods and uh, plop in tons of housing. And it was just... <laughs> it's a really dumb <laughs> argument, especially because here in LA, it's like 60% of our land overall is taken up by single-family homes. Yeah. And like 80% of our residential property is single-family homes. And single-family homes... I remember one woman got very angry and was like, you know, how can you call a single family home immoral? It's a building. It's like, yeah, it's a building that uses 180 times the or 180 percent of the resources that I use as an apartment yeah. dweller. It uses uh, way more water for grass. It uses way more electricity. It also takes up just a ton of space. Yes, it does. Also because of the Prop 
green incentives against like renovating or it fixing up your house. Changed. All of these houses are super freaking old. Like we still have problems with lead paint here in LA yep. because people haven't updated their houses in 30, 40 years because why would you do that and give up the tax break? So the Coalition to Preserve LA has made like some good moves against large developments here, but their overall stance that like LA must be frozen in time as all of these single family home bungalows detached from the rest of the neighborhood is really literally killing us as a city. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, we cannot have housing communities that are uh, just you know, frozen in the 1960s where it was just a bunch of rich white people living here. Well, there was also a woman I remember who stood up and she was complaining that it was weird that Scott Wiener, who's who's pretty wealthy, uh, wants to stop middle class people from being able to buy homes as though it's some sort of like ridiculous conspiracy theory <laughs> rather than understanding that like the reason so many middle class families hang on to their house for dear life. And this includes a lot of communities of yeah, color yeah. where like grandparents were able mm-hmm. to buy a house and you really want to keep it in the family is because that's the only appreciating asset you've got. Your wages aren't going up. Your 401k is getting slaughtered every five years by the Dow. The only thing in your family wealth that is guaranteed to go up is that house. So, of course, people want to hold on to that for dear life. But it really locks us into this really have and have not thing where, like, if you if you and your family didn't buy into property three or four decades ago, you're not getting into that market. Or if you came to L.A. or, you know you just happen to be migrating from anywhere else or your parents, you know, are going to keep living in that house. What are you going to do as you're growing up? If you're in generation uh, Z or if you're a millennial and you're trying to get into the housing market of like being able to just live in this city, those pressures of people holding on to those homes for so long mean that and, and the, the appreciation of that asset is uh, completely destroys any ability that you have to actually get into that game. Like yep. we can't afford uh, as a generation, we can't afford to to own that home, to have that housing stability. And we are a generation of perpetual renters when it comes to the entire state of California for the millennials, for the Gen Z, and even for a whole bunch of people in Gen X. Like it is, this is a massive crisis and it was really just, kind of uh, shocking to see somebody coming out with that attitude about, yeah, you know, it's, it's a, it was a great mechanism for getting people uh, to be able to, to seize onto that uh, dream of an American, you know, the American dream and, and, and buying into that. But it is now completely unattainable for so many people in the city. And it, I'm sure we're going to talk much more about SB50 as, as things wear on, because this fight is going to go on for a while. But yeah. there are a couple of other decent housing bills. Uh, AB36, we're not going to talk about it at the moment, but keep an eye on it, because it's attempting to bring some form of rent control to the entire state after Prop 10's failure. There's still a big movement out there for protecting tenants. But more in line with That's SB50... Rent, anti-rent gouging. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's even more strict than uh, the law that Oregon just passed, which yeah. is pretty cool. But <laughs> uh, we're also looking at SB4, which is yes. sort of like SB50. So let's talk about this one because I feel like both of these are going to be making headlines for a bit. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the the YIMBY crowd, like we were saying, really came out in strong support of uh, SB eight twenty seven turned into SB fifty. But they're gonna there's uh, another bill SB four that's working its way through the state senate uh, that came out of Mike McGuire's uh, office SB four. It's kind of like SB fifty, but like the light version of it. Uh, the proposed SB four would streamline the approval of process for slightly denser housing development within a half mile of existing proposed transit stops, much the same way that Wiener's SB50 does. But SB4's benefits would apply chiefly to, quote, a 
city with a population of 50,000 or greater that is located in a county with a population less than 1 million, end quote. That means they're carving out exemptions for, among other cities, McGuire's own Heldsburg, uh, California population. Healdsburg. Healdsburg. I apologize. I, I know that because I lived up in Napa for about nine months ah. and used to ride my bike around there. It's beautiful, uh, but also one of those places where as you're riding through these like very verdant um, – uh, 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 vineyards and like the really nice hills up around the, the Alexander River and the Russian River Valley, uh, you just think to yourself, unless I win the lotto, I am never living here. Yeah, well, the 12,000 people that call that town home are not going to have to worry about any uh, transit-oriented development coming into their neighborhood if SB4 is the one that carries the day. So uh, it's worth pointing out here that Senator McGuire chairs the state Senate uh, Governance and Finance Committee, which will be holding a hearing on both bills on April 24th. Uh, McGuire has said that he'll be working with Wiener to co- reach a compromise in advance of that hearing, but uh, we will have to uh, wait and see how that goes. Yeah, I mean, I'm not expecting, like, it, as much as we're in crisis as a state, and we are with the housing crisis, like, it's actually a crisis. I don't think Sacramento uh, has any winning ideas. And, like, even with SB50, even when the Yimbies are selling this is an urgent, like, we need this now, it's going to take 10 years to bring that capacity yeah. online. Like, I mean, more people will end up on the streets before we build those units. And if you ride the expo line like I do a lot, you'll notice that, like, all of the, the new buildings that are going up look very fancy and expensive. None of them look like something that you would be able to afford as somebody just out of college or somebody who's starting a family. So even without the lubrication of SB50, we're going to see plenty of market rate development. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> – I mean, trickle-down doesn't work in economics. Trickle-down doesn't really work in housing either. I mean, it kind of – eventually does, but it takes, what, 10, 15 years for any of that new supply to become quote-unquote affordable? I mean, sort of. It's And at the same time, like, the the, the rate at which rent goes up versus inflation, oh, like, yeah, here in LA, no, unless you're in an RSO building, like, your landlord's going to raise your rent more than inflation pretty regularly, uh, unless he's, like, kind of a shady landlord like my sister's soon-to-be former landlord, who hasn't upped their, upped their rent in, like, eight years, but also doesn't have any of his tax documentation posted anywhere on the property, so he's just not paying his taxes on his <laughs> rental property. So uh, that's, you know, that's a fun one. Um, But uh, moving on from that, there was another big uh, uh, issue that was before the city council. Well, and they they weren't really taking up a vote on this. They're more listening to public comment uh, that has to do with urban uh, oil extraction. This is something here in L.A. We know like, hey, Beverly Hills High School, there's an oil derrick there, but it's shut down. If you go to what was it called? Drill Finder? Uh, it's Wellfinder. Wellfinder. Yeah, just yeah. go to Wellfinder and just like look there for a minute and you will probably lose your lunch at <laughs> the proximity of an oil well to where you are anywhere in the city. It's really kind of scary, but uh, the Stand LA Coalition was there to talk about trying to put an end to that, trying to shutter a lot of these wells. Yeah, I mean, because if, dr- if you drive up and down La Cienega, when you get into those hills, you see the oil derricks all over the place. But Second biggest urban oil field in the country. Yeah, but if you if you drive around other parts of Los Angeles you probably have driven past these oil wells and not even known it because they've done a very a very good job of trying to hide them. Well, like the Beverly Hills Galleria is only about half as big as it actually looks from the outside because the, the <laughs> southern part of it that looks like a big, white, opaque office building, <laughs> it's actually masking like three oil derricks. Yeah, if you see an office building that doesn't have windows, it's either like an AT&T uh, server farm uh, where they do all of the connections for everything for the internet, uh, or it's a DWP uh, power transfer station, 
or it's an oil well. And there's a pretty decent chance that it's going to be an oil well. And you really, really don't want to be living in proximity to that. But the reality is that a lot of our most uh, disadvantaged and uh, you know easily victimized neighbors are living directly adjacent to these places. So uh, the grassroots group Stand Together Against Neighborhood Drilling, Stand LA, seized the mic with a guerrilla-style lobbying effort during the general comment period on Tuesday's city council session. The tactic was powerful, and we were both proud to be able to be there to support them on that. Yeah. No, and Stand LA has done some really good work, especially uplifting the environmental justice cause, making sure that frontline and impacted communities are being heard, making sure that like we put this front and center because cities like Wilmington, you've got an oh, oil yeah. derrick 30 feet from people's houses. Yeah. That's not good for you. That's not good. For you. Like I once got to, to go on a tangent. I once was riding up in Northern California. I was on my bike on a bike tour, got lost because I didn't want to ride on the 101 and thought I could find some cut through streets. <laughs> uh, ended up in a Chevron drilling site. Oh, oh. Uh, got to a sign that said must have protective gear from here on out. Was like, I probably shouldn't ride down that road. And no, you know, turned around and a guy like with a, a respirator or, like drove up in his truck to like be like, hey, let me show you how to get out of here. Uh, <laughs> oh God! But yeah, it's just like it, it, that was one of my first introductions to just how prevalent this toxic industry is here in LA. Because as I keep saying, California was an oil state, still is, still very much is. So more than fifty activists packed the chamber to show support for community members who took the mic to uh, urge city council to release the city's study on the impacts of fossil fuel extraction in neighborhoods across Los Angeles. Stand LA even brought a cameraman and a sound tech to make sure that they could capture the powerful testimony of our neighbors who are suffering from the health impacts of living on the doorstep, literally on the doorstep. There are people who are watching these guys in respirators and full body protection suits right outside their kitchen window. And, you know, these are some of the worst polluters in Southern California. Unsurprisingly, there were folks who showed up and urged the city council to oppose the creation of the common sense 2,500 foot human safety buffer requirement that uh, Stand LA was pushing for. Uh, And that that buffer would apply to all extraction sites, though the only arguments that these uh, opponents offered and they did not get hardly any. There was one lady and she clearly didn't want to be there. She read straight off a piece of paper. She got booed very justifiably. (laughs) Um, I mean, I I almost felt bad for the Yimbies when they started walking up and somebody started singing (laughs) whose side are you on but like the oil drilling lady who was there from like whatever PR firm she was straight up hissed it was arms LA or something like that some terrible petroleum group and she clearly didn't believe in what she was saying but hey job's a job right yeah so they were they kept mentioning how this was a quote-unquote highly regulated and safe industry uh, which I don't think that there's any study that bears that out Um, but they did make the very valid point that these are high paying jobs in communities where high paying jobs are in a massive shortage Um, and the argument is very very valid those jobs unfortunately you really just cannot weigh them against uh, in any kind of a favorable light against the devastating health impacts of the increased cancer rates and rampant respiratory issues facing the kids and other folks who live in these drilling sites, often literally in their backyards. I mean, they were people, the students were there that were talking, were incredibly powerful, talking about how they get nosebleeds all the time at their schools. And there's one of these drill sites that's right, it's it's uh, Allen Co. Yeah, the right? Allen Co. drill site, one of the <sighs> most infamous. It's, it's half of the land is owned by the city of LA 
and half of the city is owned by the archdiocese, the Ugh. city of Los Angeles has moved to revoke the lease so that Alanco can't open three of the six drill sites that they want to open on that land. The archdiocese, the Catholic Church, uh, who I've never known to do anything bad at all. In, in all my years as a lapsed Catholic, I've never seen them make a misstep Dripping like this. With sarcasm. But they're not shutting down the wells that are on their property. So not. the city's thinking is if they can stop three of those wells from opening, Allen Co. probably can't make money opening the other three, so they just won't open them at all. Uh, but it's still a fight that's going on. I mean, that's a really good tactic by the city. But, I mean, come on, Catholic Church. Step up and, you know, do the, do the Christ-like thing and you know, support your neighbors rather yeah. than pollute them. Well, and it's it, the fight with labor is one we'll talk about a little bit later when we uh, touch on Garcetti's State of the City because uh, IBEW yeah. 18 was out there. Uh, but before that, because this kind of ties into it, the city's been debating whether or not to start a climate emergency mobilization department. And I've been part of some of the meetings about this. Uh, the The legislation that was being considered was put forward by Paul Koretz at the environmental at the Energy, Climate Change, and Environmental Justice Committee. Uh, the, the CEMD would basically create a committee. Uh, sorry, would basically create a department that sits over every other city department that takes all of the chief sustainability officers from the thirty-five other departments, puts them under one general manager, so that they can all be coordinated, so that they have to be given orders on how they're going to implement sustainability plans and the like. Uh, this also came up in front of committee on Tuesday. We didn't mm-hmm. stick around for that one, but there was a big stand LA rally uh, in between the the open council session and the committees in the afternoon uh, when they came out of the ECCEJ committee. The CEMD had effectively been gutted and turned into just an office in City Hall. So what can an office do? Make recommendations and be like, hey, y'all should do this so we don't die from climate change. They can't. That doesn't sound like it's a very useful way of uh, restructuring that. No, I mean, like, Koretz is making some efforts towards, like, sticking to his commitment to bringing the Green New Deal to L.A., but this would have been a huge win for the community, given us a real chance to correct L.A.'s course. And instead, city council decided to chicken out and went for a much more watered-down option and one that really doesn't tie us into any of the fights that we need because – in order to beat climate change, we need to be moving forward as one city hall, not as 35 different departments that don't talk to each other yeah. and are constantly like attacking each other over budgets and stuff. And sustainability isn't cheap. That's the big problem is like transforming these economies, uh, transforming this economy and the systems that we have that support our kind of oil extraction and power generation and all of the dirty like jobs and industries that we have here in LA is going to take a huge lift with everyone on board. That's what the CEMD was supposed to do. No longer have that opportunity. And it's been a real, real shame because City Hall basically bent to pressure from within rather than taking bold action that we need to take. Uh, At the same time, Caretz and the rest of them are totally going to try and trade on the credibility of the environmental justice groups and folks out on the ground are not happy about it so and justifiably. Why Why would they make that kind of a change to go from being a department to being just an office? I, I can't say. I don't know what the, the back channeling was. I, mm. I assume it was, uh, A, a little bit of budgetary concerns because, you know, nobody wants to spend money in City Hall even though that's their fucking job <laughs> and they give $2 billion a year to LAPD. I mean, uh, but there's, yeah, there's you know, money to be had. Yeah, spending, you know, a couple million dollars to not die from climate change, that's just not a budgetary priority. But also I think it was a lot of folks in City Hall are bureaucrats and technocrats and they don't want to give up their power and the CEMD was going to take away their power and for the right reasons to be like, hey, you all aren't playing nice in the sandbox. We're now going to bring a general manager who's going to make you all play nice in the sandbox. Now that we've paired that that back to an office, 
you know, Tourette's tried to put on the, the weak bomb of, oh, we could turn it into a department later. And it's like, oh, yeah, that that totally happens. Like because that time is absolutely something we have on our side on. this. We have too. 11 fucking years, you know, 11, 11, 11 years. And that's six ish. Yeah. 11 <laughs> years to get to zero emissions. And that's just to like freeze things where they're at. Like even then. We're looking at six to eight degrees Fahrenheit because yeah, everyone says like two degrees. They forget to say Celsius. So we're actually talking like six to eight degrees if we're looking at like three degrees warming in Celsius. So six to eight degrees Fahrenheit hotter here in L.A. That is a recipe for disaster. Like I mean, people already die on the streets from heat. Imagine when it's 100 degrees, 60 days out of a summer. We had 114 degrees multiple days last summer. Can you imagine it getting to 120 yeah. Plus, like, you know, all the arable land drying up uh, and not having enough water and the wildfires. I mean, and our unhoused neighbors are going to be dying on the street literally much, much faster than they already are, which unfortunately does bring us to the next issue that we need to talk yeah, about. Yeah, let's let's talk about the state of the city. Just to tie this one in real <sighs> quick. So uh, the IBEW, which is the International Brotherhood of Electric of Electrical Workers, uh, Local 18, which represents yeah. a lot of like refinery and gas power plant workers, uh, was protesting outside of Abraham Lincoln High School where the speech went down because they're angry at Garcetti for shuttering the gas plants. Now, this was a pretty wide-ranging state of the city address that Garcetti gave. Oh, he yeah. talked about a lot of stuff, so let's just kind of <laughs> dig into this. Because everything from uh, housing to environmental work to education, he tried to pull in. Uh, and uh, he threw some body blows. Yeah. I mean, the the one that really stood out to me was him blaming the ACLU and other lawyers who are out there defending our unhoused neighbors from – uh, massive amounts of harassment and just theft by the city's police and sanitation workers. Yep. He blamed them for a lack of progress on on housing the homeless. Which I, I should mention, services not sweeps was also out there protesting Hell yeah, um, for the right reasons. But it's also a weird one where Garcetti, you know, blamed the intransigence on fixing the housing crisis on people who are literally trying to get people housed and he not dying it a on the street. Barrier. He called it's, this protection of our unhoused neighbors a barrier to getting them into housing. Yeah, which Joe Reyes. Just Oh, sorry. Joe Reyes uh, died on the street because LAPD stole his heart medication. Like, don't forget that the next time Garcetti stands up and says he cares about the homeless, he's literally killed people with his policy and we know who they are and he doesn't care. So him standing there and saying, oh, hey, you not wanting LAPD to violently sweep encampments, that's stopping me from building housing. It's like, you know what? Use your eminent domain. Like, go ahead and take that highly armed police force, march it over to Beverly Hills, be like, hey, this is a nice $10 million, like, three and a half acre property. Be a shame if we knocked it down and built some affordable housing. And then you know what? You effing do it. Ugh. Yeah, it was, yeah, the the current state of affairs when it comes to dealing with our unhoused neighbors is really just absolutely deplorable. And... The services, not sweeps, folks, have an incredibly salient set of demands that are completely justifiable and make perfect sense for us to implement and are well within the purview of what Garcetti can do yeah. and what city council can do. Like, these are not unreasonable demands. They are the only, you know, sane approach to dealing with this problem because <sighs> – these are they're human beings. Like, yeah. come on, no, why it, why are we treating them like they're all criminals just because they don't have a roof over their head? Like, by by stealing all of their stuff and just crushing it time after time after time, you're not helping anybody. All you're doing is 
setting them back at starting position of gra- of zero. And, and even under Garcetti's best estimates, we're not going to re- yeah. get all the tents off of the street by 2028, which he keeps like trying to, to walk back is we'll solve homelessness by the time the Olympics roll it, around. It sounds more like a threat than it is like any kind yeah. of a, 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 a promise of progress. Yeah. Uh, he also rolled through like several other things. The the big one was educational funding because he's pushing <laughs> this partial tax measure double E, uh, which would, I forget exactly what the tax rate is, but it would basically hit business hit homeowners, try and fill in the gap left by Proposition 13. He's caught some blowback from that because one of his aides was kind of like, hey, maybe you should support our tax or else we'll be angry with you. Uh, Which also, like, I'm really tired of the business groups coming out and saying, don't tax us. And it's like, no, you need to pay more taxes. Pay your fair share. Like, the businesses have been skating by with paying virtually nothing in property taxes for uh, 40 years at this point. I mean, Prop 13 never should have included commercial or industrial real estate. End of story. Split roll 2020. We need that split roll. We needed it like 10 years ago at least. I mean, it should have have never even... They never should have been in there in the first place. Yeah. But the idea that, you know, Chevron and Exxon and Disney and all of these other companies are paying 1978 property taxes with a 2% inflation of their tax rate over the decades is just, uh, it's just absurd. They're not paying their fair share. The California uh, education budget was cut literally in half, literally overnight when Prop 13 passed. We need to find new ways of funding our education system. I mean, reforming Prop 13 would be a great place to start. Measure double E would make a lot of sense. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, and and aside from trying to take credit for a lot of the work that's happened in the on the educational front, like trying to claim that the UTLA strike was a win oh, yeah. for Garcetti, that he helped settle <laughs> that one. Uh, Garcetti also took a lot of credit for some of the renewable energy and sustainability practices that have been coming into LA, which he gets some credit for finally listening to the community that was telling him to do this stuff. Yeah. Uh, But even then, the plans are fairly lackluster. We're not looking at the energy revolution that we've been promised or that we actually very sorely need. Wasn't he saying that we're going to be the first city to be carbon free by 2045? And it's just like, uh, I mean, there's like they've (laughs) tried push also or they've tried pushing uh, 2035. It looks like the date has gotten pushed back to 2050. Uh, There's a lot of dumb reasons for that. It's also one where like. One very easy thing he could do is throw in with Stand LA, but, yeah. uh, you know, that that would piss off some of his donors. And they, they don't want to have to deal with the fact that they've been poisoning communities. So for a lot of Garcetti's State of the City address, it was just the same smarmy, self-congratulatory BS that we keep hearing from the, the guy where he's taking credit for wins that other people have won with their blood, sweat, and tears and trying to pretend that, like, his constant delaying and pushing back and, like, seemingly picking a date out of random that, you know, just happens to be a date when he'll not be in office for something to happen. Like, <laughs> like it's the best job in the world. Like, how do you do a 360 evaluation on a guy who's been out of office for a decade? Like, yeah, no. you can't. So when Garcetti says, oh, yeah, we'll be completely carbon free by 2050, it's like, oh, and you'll still be mayor then? Oh, no, you won't. You'll have moved on to like a much higher paying consulting job. Well, oh, that's yeah. good. Thank you. Yeah. we Well, I mean, his his tenure track, uh, so to speak, for the longest time really has been his his exit strategy to run for president. But he uh, seems to have gotten the note that that's not going to happen here because all of the Hollywood money is going to Kamala. And uh, uh, Mayor Pete took all that thunder out of the yeah, mayor's yeah. running for president thing. So <sighs> anyway, I, I mean, the one thing I will say uh, before we close this section out is I can't imagine that Garcetti's taste in music is worse than Mayor Pete, who came out today and was like, I like fish. And like, 
not only I like fish, but I'd, I'd play fish like as president, and like that would be part of my inauguration. Wait, That's um. But he had that thing about uh, Everlast, right? I mean, he's got terrible taste in music. <laughs> Mayor Pete is not. Don't ever steal his Spotify login no. because you will hate it. <laughs> Just don't do that. <laughs> yeah, and also, if you haven't read it yet, there's a 10,000-plus word uh, diatribe about how Mayor Pete is really not all he's cracked up to be that Nathan yeah. J. Robinson put out from Current Affairs. Go read it. It's really good. I mean, the, the tweet that sold me on not ever voting for Mayor Pete was when he complained on Twitter about how he carried an M16 in Afghanistan oh, and is really God. sad to see those weapons on the streets of America. And you're like, I'm really sad to see those weapons on the streets of any effing country, yeah. especially in the hands of somebody who is uh, allowed by our government to murder anyone that they want uh, and will not be prosecuted for war crimes because the U.S. doesn't let our soldiers get prosecuted for war crimes. Uh, and in fact, we'll have politicians come out and defend Navy SEALs who like murdered people. Yeah, no, so, it's, it's 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 real bad. Yeah, no, it's it, Mayor Pete is very much, in my opinion, a Republican masquerading as a Democrat. Uh, it's just triangulation all over again. And uh, I don't think he's going to last in the race too long. Um, but, you know, good for him. At least he's given us plenty to <laughs> laugh at uh, to, to continue this energy and kind of end on a high note. Yeah. For this hasn't been a very cop centric episode, so we had to we had to get a little bit of cop stuff, and it's kind of good news. It is good news. It's it's like, undeniably eh. good news that LAPD isn't killing as many people as they did before. Oh well, good. good. That's that's so the they good killed news. zero. No, damn. Uh, so there's there's the the extreme uh, couching um, impact of this is that uh, they only killed fourteen people last year, which yeah. is a decline, which is good. But it is still they they're they're still the most deadly police force in the country. Yeah, this is down from last year when they killed 17 people. Um, but it's off some of the really high highs from like 2004, 2005, when they were literally killing close to 100 people a year. There were a couple of years oh. where it was and and as far as shootings go, um, no, they were shooting over 100 people a year. They killed around 50 or 60 in those years. Yeah, that's um, it, slight, sorry, that, slightly yeah. slightly less jarring, but still. I mean, so 50 like 50 people. Oh yeah, God. no, and if if you're you know if you're getting shot by a cop, uh, the chances are you're going to die. Like the majority of people who are actively well, like shot by a cop, it's because they don't, don't they don't live. stop shooting after one to yes. drop you. They unload. Just like, just like in uh, in Chicago when yeah. uh, Laquan McDonald, yeah, yeah, it was what 16, 16 yeah. shots. Well, I mean, there was that that uh, video from Valero or Vallejo, sorry, of the the guy who's asleep in his car, and when the cops oh woke God. him up, three cops emptied their clips into his car, twenty six shots into a person who was asleep. You know, uh, same thing with Eric Rivera, where the cops fired like nineteen bullets at a guy who's carrying a squirt gun, uh, just over and over and over again. Cops are trained to empty that entire clip, and they'll keep pulling the trigger until the clip is empty. There's in Laquan McDonald, the cop who eventually uh, went on trial and was acquitted because you know justice doesn't exist in this country. Uh, reloaded, like he shot nine shots and then reloaded another clip and kept firing. The weird thing is with uh, like cities like New York that have more population than L.A their police shoot a lot fewer people. And there's like some evidence as to like, or there's some study as to why that is and why LAPD is so deadly. But a lot of it here is, is I think just a, a culture thing. LAPD thinks they can get away with whatever they want. And generally they're right. Because again, since 2012, around 465 people have been killed in LA County by LA County Sheriff's Department. And, and Jackie the LA Lacey has prosecuted one of them. One, one, one sheriff's Jesus. deputy. Uh, for murder. So 
they know that they're not going to be held accountable. Like, cops know that they've got a lot of protection and that they're ultimately, you know, if we look at the Mondoyan case or any of the other cases coming out of the sheriff's department now, even if you get fired, you're probably going to be able to A, sue the department and B, get your job back. Uh, So not only do you get to keep your, like, six-figure salary, but then you get another six figures on top of that because the city's like, I'm sorry we fired you for breaking somebody's skull while they were in handcuffs. No, and and that was that was one of the most jarring things out of the Monday on stuff from uh, not that long ago was the fact that Villanueva had come out and said that he's like, oh yeah, he's definitely going to be getting more than just his job back. He's going to be he's going to definitely be getting like a wrongful termination lawsuit settlement was the subtext there, which oh god, <laughs> yeah, just absolutely so insanity. We're going we're going from a a high note about like hey the cops are doing less bad to oh wait. There's also the sheriff. Yeah, well, I mean, we're going to have to see how this plays out in the context of this new precision policing that LAPD is re- replacing their predictive okay, policing yeah, that, and data-driven policing with. That is with. a very good Yeah, it's thing. it's going to be a very interesting sa- thing to see the way that that plays out. But uh, we are rolling towards the end, so I'm going to give one more quick shout-out. It's a bit.ly G-N-D-L-A tour tickets. Again, it's pay what you can, 5 10 or 50 bucks. Please come out and join us at the Wilshire Ebel on Friday, April 26th uh, from 7 to 9 p.m. It is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, there's going to be some really great speakers and some really great culture building. Uh, I hope to see you all out there. And uh, again, if you're like a student or somebody who needs help, you can always email Sunrise Movement Los Angeles at Gmail and we can help you out with some comp tickets. Yeah. And you and I will both be there. So uh, come say hi. Yeah. Uh, man, I, 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 I feel like I need to go get some rest and scream into a pillow after this week. <laughs> I don't know about you. Isn't that like what happens every week? It is. Honestly. It is. Maybe next week will be different. I'm going to cross it's, my fingers. You know, it's, it's us screaming into these microphones in a very controlled manner and then pumping that out over the Internet that allows us to survive on a week-by-week basis. So thank you for listening to us. As Joe Hill said, don't spend no time morning. Organize. Thank you all very <laughs> Absolutely. much. Absolutely. Thanks, guys.